Our scripture reading today is going to come from Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6, and 19, 1 through 4, and 10 and 11. Um, if you're reading from the Bible in front of you, it'll be on pages 811 and 812. I'll give you just a second to turn there, thus pages 811 and 812. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he has, shapen from the clay, was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it to another pot, shaping it as best as it seemed best to fit him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, I cannot do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. In Jeremiah 19, 1-4. This is what the Lord says. Go and buy a clay jar from the potter. Take along some of the elders of the people and the priest. And go out into the valley of Ben-Hinnom, near the entrance of the potsherd gate, there proclaim the words I tell you, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I am going to bring a disaster on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. For they have forsaken me and made this place a foreign god. They have burned sacrifices in it to gods that neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. And Jeremiah 10 through 11 says, then break, the jar while in, then break the jar while those who go with you are watching. Say to them, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will smash this nation and city just as the potter's jar is smashed again and cannot be repaired. They will bury the dead in Topheth until there is no more room. And we believe as... Christians, that God will bless the reading of his word. Early in the morning talking it over me and God. Late at night talking it over me and God. You could say we're like two peas in a pod, me and God. He's my father. By the end of this series, that'll probably be stuck in your head, but I apologize in advance for that. But we are in a brand new series, and actually our kids are starting a new series today, too. Um, they're, kinda, they're starting a series called Identity, and so they're going to be looking at finding their identity in God instead of what other people think of them and that kind of thing, and, and so their purpose in life, that's that kind of a teaching. And so uh, they're, you know, as usual, doubtless having more fun than we are, but that's what they're talking about back there right now. So if you sent your kid back there, that's what they'll start learning about today and in the next few weeks. Um, you know, when I was 
probably in high school, I guess, maybe junior high. I was in a, like a Sunday school class kind of setting once, and, and the teacher asked us to draw God. Have you ever had anyone ask you to draw God? Now, for my personality, <laughs> are you kidding me? I mean, maybe if I was a good artist, maybe I would have enjoyed it. Or if I, you know, was a philosopher by trade, I don't know what kind of personality it takes to really enjoy that. I know some people do, but I think what I probably did was left it blank. God's invisible, right? So, <laughs> just went with that. Uh, you know, that kind of exercise, maybe you've done something like that before. But, I mean, come on. Who can draw God? When I got to college, they didn't have us draw God, but I went to a Christian university and, and they did kind of pick our brains. Sometimes it felt a little bit like I was sitting on the psychiatrist's couch, you know, and they're like, do you have mother-father issues that might be tainting your view of God? You know, or, or do you look at God as a policeman, you know, trying to get you when you, you, know, when you step out of line? Or, uh, you know, do you... Just a whole host of things like that. Misconceptions about God. You know, do you see him as gentle, meek, and mild? You know, like you maybe learned in Sunday school. And, and just trying to... And, and I understand the point of those as much as they might frustrate me and my personality. I don't, you know, I don't want to draw God and try to figure all that out. But, but I do understand that we need to wrestle with that. Because we do often have misconceptions of who God is and what his relationship to us is. And, I mean, it's just one of the most primal questions that we all deal with as humans. I mean, there's the question of, you know, what, what's the meaning of life question, right? Why am I here? Those kinds of questions. But then there's the questions about God. In our day and time, in our culture, the question that's often asked is, is there a God? Is there a God? But really, I think that the more universally asked question is, who is God? And what, what is He like? And what does He have to do with me? Because throughout the ages, most people have assumed that there is some sort of higher being, and it's just a matter of figuring out who He is, what He's like. And so this most primal question is who is God and what does he have to do with me and that's really what this whole series is about people have been wrestling with this since the dawn of humanity I guess when Moses was called by the burning bush he said God who should I tell him is sending me here I mean they're going to ask what God who's God and God just says to him tell him I am that I am what kind of answer is that? <laughs> you know, again, well, you can't draw that on paper, can you? I am that I am. Just, I've always been, I'm always going to be, I am. I'm God, you're not. But thankfully, that's not all God gave us. And when you look through the pages of Scripture, you see word picture after word picture describing what God is like and what he has to do with us, what our relationship to God is like. And those word pictures, we call them metaphors. And because God can't just spell it out for us in black and white, it's just more than we can comprehend. It's something completely different than what we can comprehend. As 
much the same way as anything created has a hard time understanding its creator. But he gives us these word pictures. And each of them provides us with a different kind of clue as to who God is, what he's like, and, and what we're like. I mean, even as Christians, we wrestle with questions about who God is, what he's like, and what he must think of us, and what we should think of him. And I mean, just look at the way different ones of us live our lives. You know, some of us see God in the big stuff, you know, of who we married or career choices. And some of us see God in the, in the minute details of our lives. I mean, if we step on a piece of chewing gum out in the parking lot, then we must have done something wrong, right? <laughs> or if we find a dollar bill and we're cleaning out the car, we must have done something right, you know? And then some of us, we try to earn God's favor through our performance or through our prayers. And then others of us, we don't worry very much about performance or prayer, do we? And so we all look at God different. We all relate to God differently. And so maybe it would be good for us to take a step back as well and just wrestle with who is God and, and what does He have to do with us? And so one by one, we're going to take some of these various metaphors. There's a ton of them. We're going to try to take some of the big ones and we're going to look at, you know, what does this tell us about our relationship to God? What does this tell us about me and God? And how we work. And how that works. How does all that play out? So that's the point. And, and we're probably not going to get to cover all of them. We may hit this series again in a year or something and just cover the other half of them. Um, but we're going to tackle some of them. Starting today with the pot and the clay. The, we're the clay and he's the potter. This message is not at all what I thought it was going to be when I kind of sketched out this series to start with. I had a preconceived notion of what this was going to be about because you hear that metaphor in church, right? The clay and the pot, the potter and the clay. The, you know, it's the, uh, well, I mean, you probably sang this song or heard it song, sung at some time. The, you are the potter, I am the clay. You know, mold me and make me, this is what I pray. That's what I thought this was going to be about. That, you know, it would be about, oh, God wants to mold you and make you into something beautiful and precious in His sight. And, and you just have this amazing future before you because you're in the hands of the potter. And that's the message I was gearing up to give you. <laughs> and then I opened up Scripture and I started reading what, the way God uses this metaphor. And it really isn't that. I mean, I think that truth is included, assumed in the metaphor that, that God does shape and mold us. But that wasn't God's point. And that surprised me. Because, like I say, I mean, in, in church and growing up, I mean, I, I was even at a church one time, they brought a potter in. And he set up his whole thing. He had his clay, he had his table, and he's spinning the wheel, and he's making pot. He's telling us, he's breaking down every detail of what it means to be a potter and telling us how that applies to our lives. You know, it was the, so you've got a blemish here and a defect there, and then you're going to, Everyone's favorite part where the pot gets fired, right? You know, in, in the fire. Ooh. So you can take it down to the most minute detail if you want. And I'm sure that there's truth in that to be gleaned. But I should have known that God's point was a little different when, when I realized that the main 
guy that talked about this metaphor the most. His name was Jeremiah. He was a prophet a long time ago. Back in a kind of rough time, rough patch in Israel's history. And they hadn't been doing things God's way and God was warning them about what was coming down the line. That their nation was going to be exiled. That their nation was going to be torn apart. Burned to the ground. Destroyed. It was going to be really bad because they had chosen to reject God. So, you know, when... I should have known. I should have known when it was Jeremiah who was telling the story. You know, Jeremiah is a guy I have a lot of respect for because, I mean, when you're, when you're called by God to do ministry, there's, that's awesome, right? But for some people, it's a little more awesome than others. I mean, I have, a, I have a friend right now who apparently was just called to do ministry in Hawaii. And if he doesn't stop posting pictures of his new little paradise home, I'm going to have to block him on Facebook. And then there's Jeremiah. His calling went something like, you know, God showing up and saying, Jeremiah, I'm calling you to be my prophet. And Jeremiah says, well, the Lord, I don't speak very well. I don't think I'm the guy you want. And God's got to be thinking, are you kidding me? Ever since Moses, this is like the dog eats your homework excuse, you know? Everybody can't speak well all of a sudden. How about that? And so God tells him, you know, Jeremiah, I... I'm going to be with you. I've got you. But i got to tell you something, Jeremiah. It's not going to be pretty. The mission that I'm calling you to, the ministry I'm calling you to, you're going to have to tell people some things they're not going to want to hear. And it's not going to be pretty. They're going to try to destroy you, but I'm going to have your back. And so Jeremiah goes and he faithfully lives out this mission even though it meant bearing the scorn of a nation and all its leaders. Even though it landed him, discarded in the bottom of a cistern at one point to die. God did rescue him from that as he had promised he would. But it's a rough calling and and when I look at people like that that have such a calling to ministry on their lives it's so humbling to me. That, you know, I get to come here and serve this church that supports me and prays for me and encourages me. And then there's people out there like Jeremiah who are called to serve with no encouragement, no support. So you can bet when Jeremiah uses a metaphor to get his point across to the people of Israel, it's not to tell them that, oh guys, you're a a lovely lump of clay. And, and God loves you so much and he's a, just a kindly old gentleman potter and he's going to put you on his wheel and spin you around and make you into this beautiful little vase and then he's going to pick some wild flowers and stick them in there and you sit them in and you're going to be in the middle of his dining room table and he's just going to smile at you every day. You can bet it's not going to be that kind of message if Jeremiah is preaching it. And yet this is the message that gets preached about this so often I think a lot of preachers they go through this and they start with Jeremiah 18 and they read the first part there about you know God says go down to the potter's house and I'll give you a message there and they read on down to verse 6 it says like clay in the hand of the potter so are you in my hand O house of Israel 
Then they thank the Lord that none of their folks actually read on in their Bibles and, <laughs> and they just stop right there and they expound on the message that we just were talking about, you know, of how, oh, God's going to make something grand of you. You're like clay in His hands and, and He's working to make your life a beautiful thing. I just want to say a word of warning before we move on here and we will eventually move on here. Is that be careful of the preaching that you listen to and make sure that they're telling you the whole truth and preaching the whole Bible in the sense that I don't mean the whole Bible in the sense that they go through every verse of the whole Bible. What I mean is there's, it's a very popular, growing in popularity to preach what's called a, po- a prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. A gospel that says that hey, if you're a Christian, everything should just be rosy for you. You should be blessed. You should be the most blessed and thriving people on this planet. When you give, it's going to be returned to you ten times fold. If you're sick, you shall be healed. If you're, you know... But that's not what we read in... That's certainly not the gospel that I've read. So beware, because that's... And why wouldn't it be growing in popularity? I mean, who wouldn't want to hear that? Who wouldn't want to believe that? And yet, throughout the ages, God's people have often suffered the most, not the least. Jeremiah is living proof of that, I suppose. So you may wish that you had hired a preacher that would stop at verse 6, but but we're going to keep going, I guess. So he goes on, and God tells him, Jeremiah, why don't you go ahead and buy one of these pots? And we're going to use it as an object lesson. And I want you to gather up the national leaders, the religious ones and the political ones, and head outside the gates of the city. And I've got a message for you to share there. So Jeremiah takes him out there, and he goes through this list of their crimes against God and themselves. And he dashes that pot on the ground. So this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will smash this nation and this city just as this potter's jar is smashed and cannot be repaired. And just in case they were thinking this was kind of like a spiritual abstract metaphor, he adds, they will bury the dead until there's no more room. Thank you, Jeremiah, for another one of your positive, encouraging messages, you can imagine them saying. You can see why Jeremiah was so well loved by the people of his day. They had rejected God. They had decided that they knew best for their nation. And God decided to remind them through this metaphor who was the potter and who was the clay and when God uses this metaphor you can find it not just in Jeremiah you can find it in other places throughout scripture and when he uses this metaphor that's almost inevitably always his point remember your place I am the potter and you are the clay 
In fact, the prophet Isaiah put it this way. Woe to those, warning to those who quarrel with their maker. Those who are nothing but pot sherds, that's like shards of pottery. That's what happens when you break it on the ground and it splits into pieces. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker, concerning things to come. Do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind on it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry host. Every now and again, God feels the need to remind us who's God and who's not. And this is an appropriate message, to an appropriate metaphor to begin this series with. Because unless we get this one straight, we're not going to have any of the other metaphors straight. And here's the, the truth boiled down in a nutshell. If you're filling out, if you like to fill out your note card, this is the beginning of that. The truth in a nutshell is only God is the maker. And everything else was made. That probably seems pretty simple, pretty elementary. And yet this is our fundamental problem. It has been since the fall of man. It was never about taking a bite out of some fruit. It was about man and woman deciding that they knew better than God. It was about them deciding that they could choose their own way. They could make their own way. They could make their own rules. They could decide what was to be worshipped and what was to not be worshipped. And in fact, you know, from they worship things like sun, moon, and stars from the beginning. Those are created things, but they decided to make them their object of worship. But of course, we progressed from there as humans, and they began to dream up gods with the minds that God had created, and to make them, fashion them out of material that God had made it, had made with their own hands, which God had made, and then worship those things. But of course, then we progressed from there, and now we don't call them idols anymore. Now we don't call them gods anymore. We call them money, and we call them prosperity, and we call them possessions and power, and we call them prestige, and we call them romance, and a whole host of things that we worship that are still all created things. And so that's why, even though this is so basic, it's fundamental. If you want to understand who is God, and what does He have to do with me, it starts with this one. Only God is maker. And everything else is made. Only He is the potter. Everything else is the clay. And just as the clay can't say to the potter, Hey, what you doing? Why are you doing it that way? It ought to be this way. That's how ridiculous it is, God says, for us to presume to speak to God that way or to play the part of God 
And so, therefore, humility. Humility is the first requirement to understand, to begin to grasp God and your relationship to Him. Without being humble enough to accept and admit that God, you are the potter. I am only the clay. Without that, we're never going to understand the rest. For as long as we allow our pride to cloud our vision of reality, we're going to go on playing the world's fairy tale. It's like this world, they, they think that they're the potter. And in many ways, they believe that God is the clay. And that they can shape and mold God according to their wishes. I mean, just look at the way this world makes up its own rules. With each generation that comes forth, they say, what do we believe is true now? What do we want to be true now? What seems like wisdom to us in this generation? Without much concern for what God seems to think is true or right. But we as Christians aren't to be left off the hook either. Chances are you've probably argued with God at some point or second-guessed His commands. I'm Maybe you've doubted his wisdom or his ability to handle a situation. Maybe you've decided to do things your way without regard for what his will would be. Have you ever taken credit for something that God deserved the credit for? Or placed your priorities above God's priorities? Of course you have. I have, we all have. It's part of what's fundamentally the problem since the fall of man. So what we need to do is to remember who's the clay and who's the potter. So the next time that you feel like you know what's best and you don't need to consult with God on it, remember who's the clay and who's the potter. The next time you catch yourself failing to say thank you to Him for a blessing in your life, take pause and remember who is the clay and who is the potter. Or the next time you feel that need swelling up inside of you for self-importance, for power, for the respect that you deserve, remember. The next time you question God or become angry with Him, remember who's the potter, who's the clay. As we wrap things up today, I want to share a, a short video with you that kind of contains some of these reflections, but it's a, actually a, kind of an interview with a couple different people who are actually potters. And I thought it was worth looking at. So let's take a look at that for a minute. The process of making pottery is um, uh, there's an awful lot of steps in the process of making pottery. I love the design of it. That takes me to a whole nother level. I mean, I can sit there for hours doing the design because that's exciting to me. 
the idea is the beginning of the pot. Um, and that the clay doesn't have any will of its own. It is um, inert and active. I might have, you know, an order, you know, somebody's ordered something or a store or whatever. So I have to make, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, whatever bowls, or I have to make, you know, coffee mugs or cups or um, plates, whatever. And as you start out, I mean, I, it just, it's absurd to me to think that, you know, this piece of clay can say to me, no, I think I want to be a vase today. <laughs> what? I don't think so. <laughs> so. <laughs> when we make objects as, as potters, um, we can't do anything but reveal ourselves. Um, it, 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 it is literally a, a manifestation of, of ourselves. Um, we, we, we have an idea, we execute it exactly how we would execute it. Uh, I would make a different pot than you, you would make a different pot than Jennifer. If the metaphor is accurate, if he is the potter and we are the clay, like what can we learn from that? Yeah, that's, that's kind of absurd to think that, you know, the clay can say, no, I think I'd pretty much... So, I mean, thinking about me saying that to God is absurd, but we do. <laughs> I had an opportunity to examine myself, and um, a lot of times I don't like what I see. This is a hard pill to swallow, you know, to be reminded that maybe we're not so almighty, powerful, awesome as we like to think we are sometimes. But, uh, you know, the, the very wise Mary Poppins said that uh, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine goes, go down, right? So here's you a spoonful of sugar as we kind of wrap things up. And that is that we may just be clay, but we hold incredible value in the eyes of the potter. And he does have a plan and a purpose for our lives, or else why would he bother making a pot in the first place? Not only that, there's even hope in the midst of our brokenness. You know, when a, when a pot shatters, that's it. <laughs> you know, it, it breaks into a jillion little pieces and there's no putting it back together again. It would take a miracle. But God is a God of miracles. The Apostle Paul describes this amazing miracle God does in our lives as and he talks about earthen vessels and that God chooses to put his treasure, something priceless, into something as simple as an earthen vessel, a pot. So that's something incredible is himself it's his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit works in our lives to put the pieces back together to mend what was broken to bring about the original purpose that God has for our lives for his people for his kingdom and so it's with that hope in mind that we humble ourselves and we ask God to remake us knowing that as he does so, we'll increasingly reflect our maker. That's pretty neat. I thought that was neat how he shared about, you know, when you're making a pot, you're, 
as a potter you are, it's a reflection of yourself. It's unique to you. And we are unique to God. So today, for our prayer, we're going to start by praying the words of Isaiah that he wrote at a different spot. This was written as a prayer. And maybe you would just read this first part of the prayer with me, and then we'll bow our heads and finish praying. That's not it. We may not read it, (laughs) because apparently I don't have it. I will read it. (laughs) You all can go ahead and close your eyes. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. And you are potter. And all of us are just the work of your hand. So now, Father, forgive us for when we get it the other way around. Holy Spirit, we ask that you grant us the humility to keep you in the right place in our hearts and in our lives. Amen.